This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, we pick up in the story of God with, with David. Um, and so we started from the very beginning where God created everything and it was good. He created everything to be perfect. Like this whole drama nonsense where, where we don't really enjoy life, that's not how God designed it to be. It was supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to walk with him in relationship. Um, and yet, yet Adam and Eve and subsequently all of us have chosen to pursue our own thing to walk away from, from the presence of God, to be our own God. The Bible calls that sin, and it separates us from his presence. And in his presence is the fullness of joy, right? So that's what we're designed to be in, and, and it's our sin that pulls us away from God. But God in his kindness moves near. He always moves near to fix what we broke, that God wants to restore us to a relationship with him. And so we see that in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, the very chapter where Adam and Eve walk away from God, in that moment, God moves near in grace. And then with Abraham, he makes a promise that he is going to build a family that will, will love him and follow him for all their lives. And then with Moses, we see that that, that promise is in jeopardy because they are enslaved um, to, to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians are literally trying to kill off the Israel race, the Hebrew race, and God comes in with Moses to rescue them from slavery and to continue the promise that he made at the very beginning. And then we get to David, another key point in the story of God, of what he is doing to restore what's been broken, what he's doing to fix what has been broken in our lives. I, I love this, um, this chapter 7. When I was reading it the first time, um, I couldn't help but think uh, as, uh, you remember as a kid, like wanting to buy your parents something? Like you want to get them a Christmas gift or a birthday gift? Um, I, I'm assuming that most of us all had that moment. We're like, I want to, I want to get my parents something, right? Um, and, and so you either make like the card that's like, hey, here's your free coupons. I'll vacuum for a week uh, or something like that. I'm sure everybody's done that. We've got like a drawer full of them. Um, like you just don't even know how to cash them in at this point because you just, never mind. Um, and, and so you get that. Or if they're really like, I want to go get them something, right? So then they go and they, they, they look to buy you something. One of my favorite gifts, I meant to bring it, a Father's Day gift was a t-shirt, uh, and it just says spiritual gangster. Um, my kids know me well. They know that I'm, I'm really street and hood, um, and so they're like, let's get dad this shirt. Um, and, and, and what's funny about that shirt and about the gifts that we bought for our parents is whose money did they buy that gift with in the first place, right? They're like, hey, I want to go buy you a gift. I need some money. And so they want my money to go buy me a gift, um, and, and it's good, right? But the heart's there, but the ability to actually go and, and, and buy me something, um, they, it's kind of lacking, right? And, and so I'm sure you've all experienced that as a kid, maybe even now as a college student, where you're like, mom and dad, I ain't got no money, but I really want to get you something. If you could just Venmo me some cash, it'll be great. Like, I'll go get you something, right? And so the heart is there to, to give back to those who have given so much, and yet, man, a lot of times we just really can't. But it's the love and generosity of a parent that continues to give, even when they're giving their money for you to go buy something for them, right? It's this love and generosity where a parent just wants to give. I don't know that there's anything matched quite like the love of a parent, except the love that God has for his family and his children. 
And that's kind of what happens here in 2 Samuel 7. David wants to give God something, and God's like, man, come on. Like, that's cute and all, but I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you something that you, you can't even match. And so let's look at 2 Samuel 7 together. We're, we're going to read through a good bit, so we'll read for a little bit, and then we'll talk some more. Um, but starting in verse 1, 2 Samuel 7 and verse 1 now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, You see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So what we've missed from Exodus to, to now is that um, God has raised up kings, that the people of Israel, they wanted a king, someone to, to show them the way to live, um, which is kind of how we're naturally wired. We want someone to, to help guide us and direct us. Um, and so they want a king. And so first God raises up Saul, but Saul doesn't really follow God all that well. He, he kind of does his own thing as well. And so God removes Saul and brings in David as king. And so David is king. And it says here that God has given him rest from all of his enemies. I mean, that is... That is perhaps one of the most desired and elusive words in our world, rest. Right? Rest. Gosh, we all want it. We all, and I'm not just talking physical sleep. I'm just talking rest. <sighs> Everything's good. We seek it, and it's hard to come by. It's hard to find. But this is just the Lord had given him rest. The answer for where rest is found is in the Lord. And I know a lot of times, personal experience, it's hard to believe that. It's hard to trust that. We feel like we have to work and do and get our hands on things because otherwise it's going to fall apart. But the answer for where the rest that we're looking for is found is in the Lord. Mike is going to preach in a couple of weeks, and he's going to preach on this topic. And I'm, I'm really excited because um, I, I believe that 100% of us um, are, are pretty routinely looking for rest. It's in the Lord. The Lord has given David rest. And so he, he's, he's chilling in his house, right? Like he's doing well. He's relaxed. He's just kind of sitting back in his cedar home. Cedar translates to just like fancy, swanky, balling home. You ever been to Home Depot? And you're like, I'm going to build a shelf, right? You don't go get the cedar because the cedar is like double the price of the white pine. You go get the white pine because it's a lot cheaper. David's in a cedar home. Like he's doing well for himself. And he's just relaxed and enjoying life, the life that God gives him. And then he's sitting there talking to Nathan. He looks out and he's like, man, but look at God. He's in a tent. Like, God, I'm here in this and, and, and God's given me this. And yet he lives in a tent. You see, uh, back in Exodus, God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle and, and an ark of the covenant in which that was just a where the presence of God dwelt. And David's looking at the tent that they pack up and they move. Man, you know every time you pack up and move something, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It's starting to fall apart. And David's in this huge, great cedar home, and God's in a tent. And David's heart is, is moved to do something for God. God's given him so much. And so David's heart is moved to do something for God. Second Chronicles 6, God, God commends his heart. He's like, man, your heart's in the right spot. 
It's a good place to, to want to do something for God. We would do well, I think, to have our own hearts there a lot. A lot of times, um, we don't think about what can we do for God. We talked about this a lot. We come, we come into settings like this, like what can I get from God rather than what can I give to God? Um, and David's heart is right. He wants to give to God. He wants to do something for God. He wants to re repay him back like the kid who got so much and just wants to give mom and dad something back, right? That's where David's heart is. How am I going to sit here in this and God's living in a tent? They gets folded up and packed and moved. I'm going to build them a house. I've made it. I'm going to give back to God. I'm, I'm going to repay him just a little bit of all that he's given me. But what we see coming up is God, God rejects the plan. God, God doesn't let David build him a house. Actually, Solomon, his son, is going to build the temple. God tells David, no. Even though his heart was good, God tells him no. We always have to remember that God's purposes are good. That God, God wants to work good for your life. And sometimes we have these desires and these ambitions and these passions, and they may be good. But God may tell us no because he's got something better. And so when we read the scripture... When, when we're listening to the voice of God in our life, we have to remember that God is working for good, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when our desires for him are good, man, sometimes he's going to tell us no, and it's because he's got something better. He, he's working a better plan. And so God ends up telling, telling David no here. So let's keep reading. 2 Samuel 7 verse 4. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Key words, key words in the Bible. Thus says the Lord. When the Lord, Yahweh, I am, speaks up, we would do well to listen. Thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So let's stop right there. The first thing that I love that I think God reveals to David in this moment is that the God of the Bible is the God that wants to be with his people. David's relaxed and he's reclining and he's kind of resting away from all of life. And he's like, man, look at God in a tent. Let me build God a place where he can rest and relax and kind of get away from the hustle and bustle of life. And yet God says, man, I just want to be with my people. Verse 7, in all the places where I have moved with all the people. God's desire is to be with his people. He doesn't want to be in a cedar palace off on the hilltop doing his thing. He wants to be among his people, living with them, dwelling with them. I mean, the, that's the reason that God told him to build a temple in the first place. God wanted to be with his people. So remember, God's holy. He's perfect. He's set apart. He cannot be around sin. So Adam and Eve sin, and what does God do? He's like, you got to get out. Like, we can't be together because that's going to go real bad for you. But God wants to be with his people. And so he says, hey, Moses, build a tabernacle, a tent where I can be, but there's going to be some separation between me and you because otherwise it's going to go real bad. And so God has him build this tent where he can be with his people, where he can be close to them. 
where he can be near them because the grace of God moves near. We've seen that from the very beginning. God wants us to get that in the scripture, that God moves near to us. The God of this Bible, Yahweh, the I am, moves near because he wants to be with you. You ever felt the love of somebody that, and they don't want anything from you. They just want to be with you. They just want to be near you and in your presence. That pure love. And God just wants to be with his people. Just wants to be near them. One of the traits that entreats us, that really uh, causes us to love different leaders and, and famous people is when uh, someone whose status is you know, socially clearly above ours but chooses to walk with people and be among us, right? Like the, there's not a more f- you know, favorite person than old Matthew McConaughey who throws up the hook him because he's one of us, right? Like he walks with us where his status is obviously different but yet he, he just goes to the games and, and everybody goes nuts, right? Like, like he save the world or something, you know? But there's this desire, like, oh, man, like, he's, he's one of us. Because we like people that, that even though they, they've got their spot, like, they could be in the box seats, but no, they're going to sit with us. Like, that, it, that draws us to people. And yet the God of the Bible, the, the God who created all things, the Holy One, the Perfect One, the, the Majestic One, the Great I Am, chooses to move near and be with us. That should do something to us. I guarantee you, if Matthew McConaughey walked into this room, it would do something to us. Like, I would probably be the first one just to walk away and be like, hey, dude, what's up? Like, let's get a picture. Come on upstage, right? Like, let's get a picture in front of the backdrop something. Like, it would do something to us. There would be an energy. There would be a buzz. We'd be looking around. We'd be like, hey, what's happening, dude? Matthew's here. Check this out. And yet God is with us, and we're unmoved. We're unmoved by the presence of the holy God among us. That leads me to believe one of two things. Either we don't think he's that great, or we don't recognize that he's with us. Either we're not that impressed with who God is, Or we go through life like he's in his cedar palace off on some hill rather than sitting in the seats with us. But the God of the Bible is the one who wants to be with us and moves near. And so Jesus comes and they say, hey, name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then when Jesus rises and ascends, let's send the Spirit of God to live inside of those who are Christians so that God can be with us. The message of the Bible is a holy God who moves near to a sinful people so he can walk with us. That should move us. I guarantee you I'm going to make different decisions with my life when I think God's with me. I'm going to speak different words when I think, man, the God of the Bible is with me. I'm going to look at different things when I think God is with me. I'm going to treat people differently when I think that God is with me. God is with us. If you've trusted Christ, the power of God, the Spirit of God is in you. Maybe all we need to do today is to repent of our hard hearts to think, we don't need God. He's off on his own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. 
Maybe all we need to hear today is that God is with us and we need to fall on our face and confess like the wise men, the, the, the Eastern mystical wise men who didn't even know the God of the Bible come and fall before baby Jesus because he's king and he's with us. Maybe that's all we need is just to be moved by the spirit of God who's with us. That changes everything. Absolutely everything. Our lives will never be the same when we encounter this God who is with us. Man, David's trying to build him a house, go do his thing, and God's like, no, come on. That's not me. I want to be with you. Man, God wants to be with you. Just think about that for a second. God wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. That's the first thing we see in this. Is that God is a God who is with us. The second thing we see is that God doesn't need David to do anything for him. So if you keep reading there in verse, uh, in verse 8, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. So if you don't have a Bible background, David was just a shepherd. And God tells Samuel, hey, go find the next king, and he's going to come from the, the Jesse, the line of the sons of Jesse. And they go and they bring all of his sons up here, and they're like, oh, no, no, not that one, not that one, not that one. Is there another one? Like, do you have another son? And he's like, oh, yeah, we do, but he's just he's taking care of the sheep. Like, he's the youngest. You don't want him. And Samuel's like, no, bring him here, bring him here. That's the guy. And so he was overlooked and left in the pasture, and God's like, no, let me pick you up. And so God says, I brought you out of the pasture to make you prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Right? Who Who's the active person in this scenario? Who's the active person? God, right? David's like, hey, I want to do something for you. And God's like, for real? Like, I've done everything for you. I've done everything. Like, you, I don't need you. It's very similar to what Paul says in Acts 17, uh, verse 24. Uh, so Paul is in Greece, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's got a group of people there, and he says this of God. The God who made the world and everything in it. That means you and me. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So this God of the Bible moves near and wants to be with David and with the people and with us, and this God doesn't need anything in return. He's not held hostage by David. He's not sitting there thinking like, man, if only David would do something for me, finally I could have a house to live in, right? If only David would be a little more generous, finally I could make something happen in my life. If only David would get his act together, like I'm just, I need David to do something for me. He doesn't need David and he doesn't need us. If God needed 
anything from us, then he's no longer God. We are. He's held captive to us. He he doesn't need our money. His bank account's just fine. He doesn't need our service. Remember what he did with with the the boy's lunch? He had a couple fish and some loaves of bread, and he he feeds 5,000 plus people, right? Because, I mean, he can do whatever he wants, right? He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need it. God in and of himself, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit, is fully satisfied in community, in love, in service, and praise. If he needed anything from us, he's no longer God. We are. And the weight of the world is on our shoulders. But God doesn't need anything from David. So, so why does God ask them? Why does God tell us and invite us to worship? Why does God tell us to serve others? Why does God tell us to give financially, to give our money away to to the poor and to the church and to support others? Why does God tell us to do that? If he doesn't need anything, why does he? It's not to get something from us. It's to give something to us. God doesn't need anything, and so he asks us to give to him really so that he can give to us. Because the paradox of Christianity is that when we, we give, that's when we actually receive, right? When we lose our life, that's actually when we find it. And so God invites us to give because he knows that in doing that, that's when we're going to receive more of him. So he says, man, come and worship, not to consume, not to get, but to contribute and to give your praise to God. Because when you do that, you're going to know the God of this Bible more. And the Bible says that knowing him is eternal life, that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And so that if we are worshiping and knowing him more, then we're actually gaining more and more of life and freedom. And God tells us to serve because he knows that when we serve, we we get to experience the love that he has for people more. And so we know God more and we're closer to God and in God is eternal life. And so when we serve, when we give ourselves away, that's when we find the life that he created us for. And he tells us to give our money because it's so often something that holds on to us. And when we let go of it, we find that he is faithful and we know the faithfulness of God more. And so our joy and our love is increased. And so God doesn't need from us. Instead, he wants to give to us. And that is the main point that I believe God is making in 2 Samuel 7. That our relationship with him is primarily not about what we give to him, but about what he gives to us. Our our relationship with God is not about what we give to him because he doesn't need it. It's about what he gives to us. The grace of God moves near to generously give to an undeserving people an overwhelmingly good gift. That's what happens in 2 Samuel 7. The grace of God moves near. And David's like, hey, I'm going to build you a house, God. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to build you a house. God, I'm going to do something for you. No, no, no. I'm going to do something for you. That's grace. And the grace of God starts here. And the same grace that David experiences in this conversation is the same grace that comes for you and for me. And so David says at the end of verse 11, 
Or he says, I'm going to build God a house. And in the end of verse 11, God says, hey, David, I've done everything for you. And on top of that, moreover, in addition, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. You're not going to build me a house, David. I'm going to build you a house. And then he goes on. When the days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And so here God's talking about Solomon. He's like, hey, man, your kingdom, your family dynasty, it's going to continue to Solomon. But that's not it. Hold on. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What's the next word? Forever. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David was wanting to build God a house, and God was like, man, I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to build you a house, and it's a house that will never go away. It's a kingdom that will never fade. David, you're going to have a son who sits on the throne, who's going to have a son who sits on the throne, who's going to have a son who sits on the throne forever, for all of eternity. This rest, this life of peace that you experience in your kingdom right now, man, it's just going to get better and it's never going to go away. This steadfast love that you experience, that Solomon experiences, it's never going to go away. This kingdom's going to have steadfast love forever and ever and ever. The peace that you desire, that you have, man, it's just going to keep coming. It's never going to end. The life that you have in this kingdom that I've given you, that you're sitting in, that you're reclining in, that you're enjoying, I'm going to keep that going forever and forever and forever forever and forever. The grace of God gives generously to an undeserving David because that's what God does is he gives generously to us because our, our relationship with him is not about what we give to him. It's about what he gives to us. That's the crux of the Bible is what God does for us. So God says, hey, man, your kingdom's never going to end. And that, that's rare, right? Like kingdoms come and go. Kings, kings come and go. You just find someone else who's bigger and stronger, and they take over, and they move you out, and the next one's in, and, and, and so forth, right? But God's like, hey, your kingdom will never end. So, like, great news for David. Cool. But what does this have to do with us? Like, why should, should you and I care? And the reason is because of that word forever. If God promised that David's kingdom will never end, that it will last forever, that means today, right here, right now, there's a king on a throne somewhere, right? There's a king on a throne that God promised would always be there. So who's the king? Where's the kingdom? Several years after David and after Solomon, and after some other sons, the angel Gabriel shows up to this teenage girl, Mary, who's engaged to a man named Joseph. And he says to her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, of his throne. It'll never end. It'll never end. So many years after this promise, after David and after Solomon, comes a son and then another son and another son and another son. And that son's name is Jesus. And he's in the royal line of David, the rightful king. But what's unique about this king is that unlike David and unlike Solomon, he would never sin. He would never have to receive the punishment of the father. But he would willingly receive the punishment for our sins. He's the suffering king. The king who willingly steps off of his throne. He, he, he willingly lets go of what was his to come and to stand among us. And to bend down and to wash our feet Your feet, make it personal that this king would leave his throne to wash your feet and the sin that we have against God. But the greatest thing about this king, he's not dead. And so he's always able to sit on his throne. Other kings come and go. This king, yeah, he died. But three days later, he came back to life. And he lives forever on his throne. So right here today, oh, there goes a mint. <laughs> what, what do you do with that? <laughs> like you just, you just see the mint. <laughs> Feel like I should eat it. That's awesome. Man, today, in this year, like I know that sometimes it's hard to connect to something that was written thousands of years ago. The promise of 2 Samuel 7 is fulfilled today in Jesus, who is king. And he's on his throne, and he will never be removed from it. No one stronger or more powerful is coming in to take him off. Death can't even overcome him. He will live forever as king. And in his kingdom is a place of rest and of peace. In his kingdom is a place of healing and restoration. It's a place of justice and righteousness. His kingdom is a place of life. And here's why it's important for you and me. We're all invited in. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus shows up and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is here in me. We're all given the opportunity to, instead of continuing to walk our own way, which is what sin is, to repent and to turn and give our allegiance to Jesus. And when we do that, he welcomes us into his kingdom that will never end. Man, it, it, it's hard right now. Life's hard and we have our ups and downs, but his kingdom is doing just fine and he promises that it will be here forever and that one day we're going to live and we're going to sit back in the house like David was and we're going to recline in complete rest because Jesus has made everything right. That's why this is so important and that's why it matters to you and to me. So what do we do with that? 
Man, God gives David this promise. And I just want to read David's response, and I, I want to and invite us to respond in the same way. And so, Vince, I, I didn't say, if you want to go ahead and come on up, man, we'll just, I think this is a, a fitting way to, to conclude. It says in verse 18, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I? Who am I? The king, David, who has everything, sits before the Lord and realizes he has nothing in compared to him. Who am I? The Lord God, what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while. And this instruction is for mankind, O Lord God. It's for you and for me. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord, because of your promise, because of this promise that a king is coming and will never end, that he'll sit on his throne today, because of your promise, God, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, And there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. My prayer is that God and his spirit will give us ears to hear his word. To hear his voice, the God who is with us. The God who doesn't need from us, but generously gives to us so that we can have a relationship with him. Man, if we we hear his voice, that's all we need to hear. We call out, and he responds, he answers in our fears, fate. We taste and we see that he is good, and lesser things don't have quite the same appeal. God promises, hey, I'm going to give you something greater that you don't deserve. I'm just going to freely give it. And David's heart is moved to worship. My prayer is that we will be a people who worship God because of his gift to us as a response to who he is. He's worth it. He's king whether we acknowledge it or not. Philippians 2 says every knee will bow and declare him as king. The question is will we bow now or will we bow later when it's too late? But we will all bow and worship him. He will not lose his throne. He sits in peace and in rest. In rest and he rules over our hearts and our lives and he invites us into his kingdom. It's a good kingdom. Let's pray for a second. Lord, our God, how majestic is your name. Your kingdom has been established and it rules forever. And you don't rule harshly. But your kingdom is is a place of peace and of rest. It's a home of welcoming and of love, of steadfast love. Your love never ends. 
when I walk away again, you, you still love me the same. And then when I walk away again, you still love me the same. And then when I walk away again, you still love me the same. God, your love is steadfast. That's the love of your kingdom. God, we confess that we um, live all too often as if you're off in your cedar palace somewhere, sitting off in the distance watching us but not really engaged. But God, you are with us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill this room, that we would know, that we would know your presence and that we would taste and see how good you are. God, you're all that we need, God. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.